All right, this is Robert Furrow, and welcome to TruthQuest Podcast. This is our Q&A where we look at questions through the lens of Scripture. Our desire is to know what the Bible says so that we can know what to believe, rightly dividing the Word of God, approaching the Scriptures with humility, receiving them with joy, but searching the Scriptures to see whether these things are so. And when we search the Scriptures and we know what the Bible says about what we believe, then we own it much better. If we hear somebody talk about it and we go, that's what I believe, and we don't do the research on it, then it's hard to really own it, just to own it, uh, those, those, uh, that belief in that scripture. But when you can explain it, when you can go to the passages, it's very powerful. And I think it becomes the word of God is inside of us more. Remember, Jesus said, if you abide in me and my word abides in you. So we want God's word to abide deeply inside of us as we take time to study it. Uh, you can subscribe for this podcast anywhere that you subscribe for podcasts or that you get your podcast. You will get our full-length teachings, our hot topics, which are shorter teachings, and our Q&As. And you can listen to them wherever it is that you listen to podcasts at. So it's good to see you guys popping on here. Um, this, again, uh, is our Q&A. Uh, we'll be doing this for an hour. If you write, if you want to submit a question, uh, we are on four different platforms, three on Facebook and one on YouTube. Uh, just write a question in the comment section. Put a question or, or the word question or a cue or a question mark in front of the question so that I can identify it quickly because we have a lot that goes on during the chat. Uh, during our Q&A, and I just want to be able to, to not miss your question. Also, write it out and then reread it a couple of times so that it makes sense, so that you know what you're asking and what's being said. All right, so we have our first question today that comes to us from YouTube, and it's Psychman45. Psychman, good to see you. Uh, question, salt preserves and enhances flavor. Jesus referred to its flavor aspect but um, is not faith and love is what flavors salt, our service to God. But it's not faith and love, but it's um, our service to God that flavors salt, I think is what you're asking. Only way we make it acceptable, Mark, Mark 9.50. So let's go ahead and take a look at Mark 9.50 and we will see what it says, let me go ahead and get it up on the screen for you guys as well. And we'll try to take a look at this, um, at this response uh, or at this question. All right. Um, so let me go ahead and put it up on the screen for you guys. Here we go. All right. So ta um, tasteless salt is worthless. And just kind of backtrack a little bit here. Um, so Jesus warns of offenses. Um, all right, so then he says in verse 49, we'll do 49 and 50. He says in verse 49, for everyone will be seasoned with fire and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Salt is good, but if salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace with another. So psych man, um, good question. Let me go ahead and get back here to our initial page. Um, all right, psych man, good question. Jesus obviously uses this um, analogy a couple of different times, and it seems like here he's using it slightly different. Uh, he says we are the light of the earth and we are the salt, uh, the light of the world, and the salt of the earth. In another place, he talks about salt losing its flavor, but only being good to be thrown out. It's not good, it's not good to be thrown out on the land, and it's not good for the dunghill. And the reason is, is because salt is always salt, even if, it, even if it's contaminated. It could be contaminated by something that would make it not usable to preserve meat. And because salt permeates and salt draws out moisture and salt fights off bacteria, it's a great preservative. And um, they, would, they had no refrigeration in those, day, those days. They would butcher their animals. They would rub salt in it and the salt would stop the corruption. So Jesus says two things here. He says that salt loses um, its flavor. How can you flavor it again? If it loses its effectiveness because it's still salt, how can you make it effective again? How can you uncontaminate it? 
it's not good to be thrown on the land because if you salt land, and a lot of people did when they took over an area, then uh, the land doesn't grow anything. And if you throw it on the dunghill, that's manure. You use that for manure and now you're causing problems and growing things. So Jesus said in another place, it's good only to be trampled underfoot, which they would throw salt down on the roads and then people would literally trample on it. So we are to stop the corruption because that's what salt does. Um, we could talk about the flavor and I was looking at it here for everyone will be seasoned with fire and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Jesus is talking about um, he's talking about hell. He's talking about fire not being quenched and the worm never going out and um, pl pluck, plucking out your eye if your eye causes you to sin. And so he says every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt, um, which to us would be, would be stopping that corruption. Salt is good, but if it loses its flavor, how will it again be seasoned? Um, and again, the contamination is what affects the flavor. And he's just saying, you throw it out, that's it. So if you're supposed to preserve in the world, um, then you lose your saltiness, then you're not going to be able um, to cause it to be salty again. It, it won't be any good. Um, and I'm not sure exactly all of the points, um, all of the points that Jesus is trying to make here as he says this. So let's go back to your question. Salt preserves and endures flavor. Jesus referred to its flavor aspect, but it's not faith and love that flavors salt. It's our service to God. And so I would, yeah, what makes that, what makes it salt so that we preserve? Um, what makes it salt so that we flavor for the world? Um, yeah, I think that service to God could be said there. The only way we make it acceptable. Um, I think that we could be talking about our service to God here. Um, I would be hesitant to try to make works salvation and that might be the direction. I don't know if that's the direction that you're going because we're nowhere we're not saved by works. Um, it simply would be a Christian who is not salty. He's not doing the work of, of the salt. And what good is that? People are on their way to hell. That's what he's talking about. That's the context. And if people don't have salt, if they're not stopping the corruption of the world, um, then how is it going to become salty again? And what good is it but to be thrown out? So um, have salt in yourself and have peace with another. Um, so again, I'm not sure that that's all that Jesus said there. I'm just trying to go off the top of my head. And a lot of times, um, you know, in, until you can take time really diving in and doing cross-references, um, you really can't get all that's in it. Um, but I think that Jesus is saying, this is our job. And what good are we if we don't do our job? I mean, we're here, we're doing what God wants us to do. We're living our lives, but if we're not being salt, then we aren't doing what the Lord's really wanting us to do. All right, so thanks, Psych Man. I appreciate your question. Uh, if I didn't answer it to your satisfaction, or if there was an aspect you want to clarify, then go ahead and clarify that a little bit later on in the um, Q&A, even if I can't get to it. I'll take a look at it later on and I'll be able to come back at another point and really uh, go ahead and talk about it. So we have a question here from Jari. Jari, good to see you. Jari joins us from YouTube as well. Uh, Jari says, what is the meaning of 123 fish in John 21, 11? Yeah, um, this is a good question. Uh, John uh, 21, 11, let me go here. So, um, first of all, we can say, um, let me go ahead and put this up on screen. We'll read it first and then we'll talk about it. All right. So it says here, um, Simon went up and drug the net uh, to land full of large fish, 153, although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said, come and eat breakfast. So this is the restoration of Peter. And that's really important for us to really grasp and get when we're looking at this number and what this number means. Um, and I think it's one, is it one, it's 153, right? You've got 123 there, but it's 153. Um, and so uh, early in the ministry of Jesus, Jesus takes Peter, takes him out so he can preach and then tells him to throw his net over. Peter has fished all night. Peter finally says, Lord, I fished all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I'll cast out my net. 
and he cast out his net and he catches so many fish that the nets start to break. The fish start to get away and they bring them into the boats and they start to sink the boats. There's just so many fish, but the nets started to break and Peter falls down in front of Jesus and says, leave me, Lord, I'm a sinner. I think because Peter had already been called by him, Jesus had already walked by James, John, and Peter um, mending their fishing nets and said, come and follow me. And he hadn't followed him. And he was back fishing again. It seems that Peter had trouble getting started. And even after he denied Jesus, he wanted to go back to fishing again. And so Jesus gives him this experience. It's a supernatural experience, tells him to throw the net over. Obviously, Peter knows fishing because he's a fisherman, but he didn't think that Jesus knew it. And so um, there's just this, this, this huge statement that causes Peter to finally fall down in front of Jesus and say, and Jesus says, from now on, you will fish for men. When Peter says, leave me, um, I'm not worthy, um, I'm a sinner. Jesus says, from now on, Peter, you're going to fish for men. So he's got his, his use for, for him from that point on. Now he goes through the ministry. We have the denial and they're back out on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus, after the resurrection, had told the disciples, meet me at the Sea of Tiberias. That's the Sea of Galilee. So they're there. Uh, Pete, while they're waiting, Peter says, I'm going fishing. It could be, we don't quite know what's going on in the heart of Peter, but it could be that he was going to go back to fishing totally. I'm not really a disciple. I'm not worthy. I've denied Jesus. So this is right before the resurrection. And they see a man on shore and the man says, throw the nets on the other side of the boat. So they throw the nets on the other side of the boat. That harkens back to that first event. And they catch so many fish that when they bring the boats to shore and Peter jumps over the edge of the boat and swims up to shore. And then Peter goes and drags the nets when they get it close. And there's 153 fish. And although there are so many, the nets are not broken. So this would tell us that there's something more effective for Peter, that the nets aren't breaking, even though there's this large number of fish. And I think first of all, Jari, we would have to say that the 153 fish are, it's just a large number. That's first of all. It's, it's, it's a lot of fish to be catching in one net. Second, that the net didn't break with a large amount of fish would tell us the effectiveness that the church is going to have, that Peter's going to have as being part of the church. Um, Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against you. I build my church. I give my, you the keys to the kingdom and the gates of hell will not prevail against you. Now, there have been other speculations about the 153. It's interesting, it can be laid out in an, in an exact triangle. If you take 153 and you put it into a triangle, if you took 153 balls and you put them in a triangle, it would make an exact triangle, which is interesting. Um, I don't know if there's anything to that. There are other people that have used 153 in calculations and um, I don't know. I, I don't know about those things. Um, I don't have any of them right in front of me. I'm usually skeptical to them, but could God put something else in there that we would find later on that would be an encouragement to us? Sure. And some people have used um, 153 for that. I do know I was fishing up on Mount Lemmon one day and it was a great day of fishing, literally catching two at a time. You catch one, put it under my leg, reel the, the fish in, put rebate it, cast it back out, put that under my leg, take the other one out, reel the fish in. And while I was doing that, I caught 153 fish. And when I got to 153, I thought, I'm done. That's just too biblical of a number and packed up things and left. And um, I don't know whether God was saying anything to me about those 153 fish as well. But I think first of all, it's a large number. And if there's anything else, it's not going to fight against that concept that there's a large number that was caught. And after this, he takes Peter up and he says, Peter, do you love me? Three times he tells him. And finally, Peter says, Lord, you know, I, I like you. He uses the word like instead of love. Then he says, feed my sheep. It is the restoration of Peter and it is very powerful. All right. So thanks, Jari. Um, off the top of my head, I'm not sure if there's any other meaning for that. <clears throat> I do know that people have um, taken that particular passage and come up with their own ideas. All right. So um, we have a question here from Luke. Um, Luke says, and Luke comes to us from Facebook. Good to have you here with us, Luke. Luke says, um, you continually mention Genesis 5.16 during TruthQuest podcast. What do you do in your personal life to live out this scripture? And what advice do you have 
for those that want to live life in the spirit and not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Okay, yeah, thanks, um, Luke. I appreciate that. Um, it is a passage that I go to a lot because I think it's one of, it's, it's a great passage of application. And um, I'm gonna go ahead and bring it up on the screen here. Um, that's Galatians 5, I think I might've said Genesis, but it's Galatians, Galatians 5, 16. Um, yeah, we might be able to get a little bit more here as we take a look at it. Um, okay, so he's talking about, yeah, let's, let's just go ahead and take a look at that. I'm gonna put this up on the screen for you and we will take a look. So, um, verse 16 says, I say, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And that's the passage that I use a lot. It's a promise from God's word. And if I'm struggling with my flesh, if I can learn to walk in the spirit, that means I'm not going to struggle with my flesh. But I think most of us, a lot of us, I don't want to say most because I don't know, but a lot of us will walk in the flesh and then we'll wonder why we have trouble with the things of the spirit. But if we walk in the spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And it goes on to give us a little bit of explanation for the, um, uh, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lust against the spirit and the spirit against uh, the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. Because of this struggle that's going on, you end up not doing the things that you wish and you end up feeling bad. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. So he's talking about love being the fulfillment of the law earlier in this passage. And remember, that's the whole, that's the whole concept of the book of Galatians. He's writing them because they've listened to Judaizers who are telling them to live under the law. And so the law is of the flesh and the spirit is from God now. So in your question, and let's go back to that. In your question, you had asked a couple of things. Um, Luke, you had asked, um, I mentioned this a lot, what do you do in your personal life to live out the scripture and what advice do you have for those who want uh, to live life in the spirit and not fulfill the desires of the flesh? I, and, and by the way, I mean, I often say great question, but this is a great question because it reveals a heart to want to do what God wants us to do. So I'll tell you how I do this in my own life. I tie this together with a couple other passages that I quote with it often. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Uh, Jesus said in John 15, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, then you will have whatever you ask or whatever you ask will be given to you. So delight yourself in God and the desires become godly and God can answer them. Abide in Christ and his word abides in you. And, and you're, again, you're going to have your prayers because you're asking for things that God wants from you. You're making that connection and then walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So when I think about this and when I really want to walk in the, the flesh, I mean the spirit, when I want to walk in the flesh, that's not hard. When I want to walk in the spirit, I, I tell myself that in prayer before God, Lord, you said, if I walk in the spirit, I will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And so I deliberately now want to walk in the spirit. I want to put my mind on the spirit. I don't want to be thinking about the things of the flesh. I want to think of the things of the spirit. It's a very positive thing instead of a negative thing. If you're trying to battle the works of the flesh by simply, by, by focusing on not doing them, then you're almost certainly going to be doing them because you focus on it. But if you're going to walk in the spirit, that's a positive. And so now you say, all right, well, for, for me, a few things that I do to walk in the spirit, I want to be obedient to the Bible because the spirit has given us the scriptures. I want to, I want to be walking in love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, which are all fruits of the spirit. So I want to make sure that those are in my life. I have the gift of tongues. And so I will pray in tongues. Uh, the Bible tells us in first Corinthians chapter 14, that when we speak in tongues or when we pray in tongues, and it's the same thing, there's not a distinction by the way, um, that it's our spirit speaking mysteries to God. And so as I'm doing that, I'm worshiping him and I'm bypassing my mind and I'm focusing in on the spirit. And if you have the gift of tongues, then I would say, listen, we're living in a time where um, the spirit may be moving in a different way than he moved in the early 70s when I, when I received the gift of tongues. Um, but if you have the gift of tongues, don't neglect it. Don't misuse it. That's what 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 are all about. 
but but use it because you focus in on him. If you don't have it, then I would say spend time thanking him, praising him, magnifying him. So just get everything else out of your mind and just start to, to worship him. Lord, you are worthy of all glory, honor, and praise. I praise your name. I lift you up. You are my God. I'm so thankful for all that you do in my life. I'm thankful for the work that you do. Uh, you are King of kings and Lord of lords. You are above all. And you just worship him and praise him and set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Also, we know that the Bible is inspired by God. Inspiration means God breathes. So that's 2 Timothy 3.16. That all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. So when you are sitting down and opening up your Bible and reading it, you are reading the things of the Spirit. And often in, in, in my quiet times, I will often read whatever I'm reading. If I'm reading the book of Colossians or whatever in my private time, my quiet time, then I'll, I'll read it, which is my private time as well because I do a lot of reading of the scriptures for work. Um, but I'll read it until I get something out of it. I used to think I had to read two, two uh, chapters a day because I was legalistic and I thought God would bless me if I did. But I read it until I get something out of it. I'm just reading it and sometimes it takes a while and sometimes it doesn't. But I'm really looking for God's spirit to speak that truth in me. And then if the spirit speaks something to you, if he leads you, if he's guiding you, if he brings a scripture to your memory and you don't ignore it, if um, you are convicted before a sin, and you think I shouldn't do this, that's the Holy Spirit convicting you. And you wanna make sure that you are, 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 you listen to that and it can help you. But you put your mind on the things of the Spirit, you walk in the Spirit, um, you're reading the Word of God, uh, you're, you're edifying yourself, um, you, you are listening to podcasts, listening to worship music. There's so many ways. I mean, we have a, a church app where you can go on and listen to teachings on it. We have a Reach Radio app, which we have a radio station in Tucson, Reach Radio, and you can listen to that. Reach, um, just go to the App Store, your app, your app Store, and look for Robert Fur or, or Calvary Tucson. And um, Reach Radio has a lot of great teaching on it. Alistair Begg, Jack Graham, David Jeremiah, um, uh, Skip Heitzig, Greg Laurie, just a lot of really good teachers uh, that are on there. Uh, and um, there's also other, you know, and, uh, the podcast, Truth by Scott podcast. You could put this on your car while you're driving and you could listen to the teachings or the, the Q&As while you're driving. You could do that with other people that you like, um, that, that have a lot of good information. Many of them have podcasts uh, that you can listen to as you're driving that will help you really be able to deal with things. But I'm saying that you take advantage of your time. We are, the, of all people, the most free, but we want to do things that are profitable to us to keep us walking in the Spirit. So those are the kind of things that I do. I think that this is incredibly important uh, when it comes to us getting sin out of our lives. And I hope that God's working within each one of us, renewing that inner man, but us doing our part of really walking by the Spirit. And thank you so much, Luke, for your question um, I, I really love being able to explain that. And uh, if you have any more questions about it, please feel free to ask. Um, we will take a follow-up question uh, if you have one. All right, so we have another question here from Matt. Matt, it's good to see you. Matt joins us from Facebook uh, as well. Um, Matt, you got your cowboy hat going there. Uh, looks good. We uh, just went to go see Brooks and Dunn and Reba not that long ago. Um, it was a it was a pretty good concert. Um, there are a lot of people there with cowboy hats on. That's what reminded me of it. Um, so Matt says, as Christians, well, we have to answer to God for sin we never had a chance to repent from, or unknowing sin in our lives. I know our works will be judged by fire, and will still get um, and will still get in. Right? That's what First Corinthians says. But saved as through fire. Right? You'll still be saved, but as through fire. But um, but he'll there be, but will there be a highlight reel of our sins? But God forgives and will still get in. All right. So a couple of things, Matt. First of all, I hope there's not a highlight reel of our sins. I really do. Um, I don't want you to see me sinning, and I don't want to see you sinning. All right. 
So hopefully there's not a highlight reel. In fact, I don't think that there can be. Um, because when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That picture of Jesus taking the garment off of the high priest, the angel of the Lord, and putting on a clean garment is God putting cleanliness on us. And so when we ask him to forgive our sins genuinely, and we know that God is close to those that have a contrite heart. So when we genuinely can try to see sin for what sin is, the destructive nature of sin, then he puts that sin behind his back. He separates it as far as the East is from the West, from us, so that sin goes one way and we go the other way. And I don't think that we will ever be reunited with that sin or that sin will ever be brought up to us again because Jesus completely and totally forgave us of it. And that's what I say when we think about your, be sure your sin will find you out. The Old Testament says, uh, God said to Israel, and can a man take fire into his lap and not be burned? Um, can you, you know, not gonna have the consequences of sin? I say, hey, repent, turn, try to do what's right. And then God won't be revealing it and, um, and deal with it. Sometimes it's a behavioral issue that you gotta get a handle on. Sometimes it's an addiction issue that you gotta get a handle on. These would be strongholds that you gotta get a handle on. But I think that if you say to God, Lord, like Peter, I'm weak. My, my flesh is, is, is willing, but my spirit's weak, or my spirit's willing, my flesh is weak, whichever one Jesus said. I'm weak and I'm sorry. And I really want to do what you want me to do, and you really want to. And it um, seems when I get into this situation, I fail. Forgive me and help me. Now be ready, because God may do some real things to, to make you get ready, but you've gotta really seriously want to get rid of those things in your life. And I believe that when we do, our sins are forgiven and that they are put behind his back and that we will not have a, a reel of those sins that are made. So what happens um, if when, when fire is put to our motives? That's what this passage is about. It's not about sin being judged in Christians. It's about our motives being judged. Why is it that I do what I'm doing now? Why is it that I, that we have hot topics or truth quest podcast or why do i do the teachings at the church is it honest motives that want to really come alongside of people and help people or is it something completely different right is it because maybe it's selfish ambition on my part um maybe i'm trying to build my own kingdom or my own awareness those will burn up and be nothing so that's what he's talking about and then you'll be saved as through fire you'll still be saved but you won't have any of the reward uh, that is there. Um, but to answer your question about sin, no, I, I don't believe that we're going to be in heaven and him pointing out sin. I think that's something that happens here, that, that if we're trying to hide things, God reveals them. He's, he is a revealer. And if we take care of it, God doesn't reveal it. I'm not saying there won't be consequences of sin because that's a whole other issue, right? And sin is always destructive. It, it, in itself, it's inherently destructive. Sin isn't sin just because God makes it sin. That would, that would be trespasses. So if there's a rule that's made that uh, you shouldn't, don't walk across this, this, um, this property, no trespassing. Um, well, there's nothing inherently wrong with walking across a piece of ground. But because there's a sign that says no trespassing, it's become a trespass now. So those are different than sin. Sin are inherently destructive and that's why God wants that out of our lives. All right. Matt, thank you very much for your question. Again, I really appreciate it, um, being able to really get into all of that and explain it. And as always, if I didn't answer it completely or fully or misunderstood to some degree, um, then I will take a follow-up question, which I'm going to do right now with PsychMan45. Uh, Psych, uh, PsychMan asked the question earlier. Um, I was trying to ask, is this true that our service to God must be flavored with salt, faith, and love. Otherwise, it is worthless and won't be accepted. Okay, so I see a little bit better what you were asking there. Psych man, thank you. Um, so um, flavoring our, that our service to God must be flavored with faith and love. Otherwise, it is worthless and won't be accepted. All right, let me, let's just take a, let's just ask if that's true, first of all, all right? So if I'm doing something for God and I have another motive besides faith and love. 
So we know that without faith, it's impossible to please God. We know that everything that we do has got to be with love and, and needs to be out of love. Um, so I'm going to say that I would think that that statement would be a true statement. Now, again, I'm thinking off the top of my head. I'm trying to think of passages that are there, but I'm thinking that this statement is a true statement. Our service to God must be flavored with faith and love. Otherwise, it is worthless and won't be accepted. It's worthless to us, it might not be worthless to the person we're helping. So we might be helping someone, but we're doing it for the wrong motives. And I think it, it connects in with the, the um, question that we just had about our motives being judged in the Bema seat that 1 Corinthians talks about. Um, and so I would say, yes, I think that that's true. I think everything that we do for God has to be out of faith and love. Otherwise, it does me no good. And that this, could this have been what Jesus meant when he talked about salt flavoring everything? Um, perhaps. I don't see how this true statement fits into the text that he was talking about when he's talking about hell before it and then talks about our salt afterwards. It seems to me like he might be talking more about us being the light and salt because we are a way that people see us and then live for Christ and escape hell and gain eternity. So, um, again, thank you for your question, Psych Man. I do, I think it's a true question. I think you could make that statement. I think that you could, that would preach. I think you could say, um, what we do needs to be flavored with, with, uh, faith and love. Otherwise it's, you know, again, worthless to who worthless to us. Um, it's really a waste, right? Unless it's flavored with that. So I do think that's a true statement. Thank you very much, Psych Man. I appreciate your follow-up question there. Sorry that I, I didn't quite get it uh, clear. Sometimes when we've got, you know, such a small area here uh, to be able to write things out, you're not able to write everything out and you got to kind of make some guesses as to what's being said. All right. So Daniel, good to see you here as always. Um, so uh, Jari has a little bit of a follow-up question uh, to the 153 fish that we talked about. Um, Jari says, Robert, what are your thoughts on the names and numbers in the Bible? Biblical numerology, is this idolatry? Uh, there are a lot of people that put a lot of emphasis on numbers. Uh, we say that three is the number of God, seven is the number of God, or three is the number of the Trinity, seven is the number of God, one is the number of God, six is the number of man, um, 12 seems to be um, a complete representative. So there were 12 sons of Jacob, which made up the 12 tribes of Israel. There were 12 apostles that the foundation of the church is built on. So it seems to be a number of completeness and service, we could say. 40 is a biblical number. It rained for 40 days. Jesus was tempted for 40 days. Um, all of these numbers have some biblical aspects into it. I think sometimes they get stressed, stretched beyond what the Bible really supports. That people start using them as if they are um, some kind of a formula to be able to gain things. Whenever we find seven in the Bible, I think it speaks of God, it speaks of completeness. So I do think there's some of that that is there. Um, I, it, it, whether or not it's idolatry, I think depends on the person. So, um, and we also have the Bible codes, right? That are a lot of times connected to numbers um, as they count through the Hebrew Bible and try to get every certain letter that comes up and then come back up with their message. And um, whether or not that's distinct in the Bible or not, I don't know. Um, I think that some people have taken other codes uh, that people have and have um, made them to say something else um, that's not there. Or, or made them to say something. I don't know if it's as much as what the Bible is in these Bible codes, these books that come out with it. I'm always skeptical. I kind of think that, my opinion, it's just my opinion. I kind of think that God clearly gives his word, you know, and there's a hermeneutical, hermeneutic principle. Hermeneutics is this, how you study the Bible, that if the first sense makes sense, don't look for any other sense. And that saves us from getting caught up into things we shouldn't get caught up into with the scripture. And so I think sometimes we are, man, it's the, 
the Bible has so much to say in the plain and simple sense of what it's saying that we could spend the rest of our lives talking about it and and I plan to, by the way, and not gain all the knowledge that we find in the pages of Scripture. And so, yeah, numerology, I'm interested in it to some degree. I would like to study it more. Um, do I think it could become idolatry? Yeah. And I think it could become the main way people try to look for things instead of just reading the Word of God and trying to get the clear sense of what God was saying. It's very clear and really is easy to understand once you dive in. I realize as a new Christian that it's hard to understand the Bible. But the more you get on the inside, the more you see it, the more you're able to compare it scripture to scripture, and the more you know the Holy Spirit brings passages to you and you have a better understanding of the Word of God. So this is a follow-up question. Um, we had the question about, about the 153 fish and whether they meant something significant um, within it. And um, so thank you for that follow-up question, Jari. I really appreciate that. And a good thing for us to be thinking about how we approach God's word and what we do. Um, meaning, how do, we, how do we find the truth that's there? So we have another question here from John. John, it's good to see you. John P. Uh, comes to us from YouTube. And John says, other than Reach Radio and a few YouTube channels, are there any teachers available to listen to I can't stomach most TV preachers. Um, I'm going to try not to be insulted, John, because we have a television program. One of our podcasts is a television program podcast. Um, and really ministers to shut-ins too, by the way. Um, every time we kind of take a look at it and whether we should continue to do it, the numbers are really amazing um, as far as shut-ins go. Elderly shut-ins are really ministered to by it. Um, but I understand what you're saying. Um, yeah, I have uh, a few suggestions that may be helpful for you. Um, one of them is Mike Winger. Um, Mike is a Calvary Chapel pastor um, and a worship leader that has a YouTube channel called Bible Thinker. And he's also got a webpage called BibleThinker.com. And he's also got a podcast called Bible Thinker. He's got a Q&A that he does. Uh, that has a lot more in it on apologetics than what we do. And it's very helpful. He's also got a lot of just videos and teachings that he does. Um, and what I love about him is that he's able to take a topic uh, because he's not teaching weekly, like I'm teaching two times a week. So I've got limited time to be able to really study out a topic before I teach on it. And sometimes I really wish that I had more. Um, but you know, you got to be faithful with what you've got and go out and do it. But he'll take a, a topic like um, he's been talking about doing a topic on egalitarian versus complementarian, a woman's role in the church and in the home and the difference between those two. And I'm interested in his findings and that and what he found. And I'm looking forward to those videos coming out. And um, I will listen to some of his videos while I'm driving in podcasts. Um, so he's a teacher that I definitely listen to. Um, I, de I, I think uh, Greg Laurie is another one that's awesome. You can listen to him on a podcast or the YouTube channel. Um, another Calvary guy that I like a lot is Jack Hibbs. Um, and another Calvary guy that I like a lot, and, and I just kind of discovered him recently, is Gary Hamrick from Leesburg, Virginia. And um, I really like his teaching. I like, I like the fact that he just dives into the word and starts to get into God's word. And um, he's coming out for our prophetic conference that we're doing. We're doing a prophecy conference 2022 in March in Tucson. Um, and he's coming out for that. And so I'm looking forward uh, to him being here for that. Um, I can think of so many other teachers that I would take time to listen to. David Jeremiah. Um, and I'm sure that most of these guys have good options to be able to listen to their stuff, YouTube channels or, um, or podcasts. I think maybe some of the, the older people that, well, I say older, but like David Jeremiah, Jack Graham, um, Charles Swindoll, um, sometimes don't have a, a lot of connections that we can just go and find their stuff, search it easy and find what we're really looking at. Um, but these are all really good gifts that God has given us um, today. And, um, 
hopefully that will be helpful to you. Uh, John, thanks for letting me talk about um, those people. Um, I ride the bike. If you could see in my office here, right off to the right, I have a, a bike that I ride. It's a stationary bike and I ride it a couple of times a week. Um, just part of my cardio to stay in shape. And um, I put a, um, a teacher up on my desk here and I watch them while I ride. And while I play spades on my phone, by the way, because I'm just, <laughs> just riding a bike for an hour. Um, stationary bike would drive me insane. Um, but I love to listen to Chuck Smith and I love to, um, still, Chuck was a huge influence early on in my life. And if you haven't discovered Chuck, then there can be just some really powerful things there. I'm always surprised that the videos that I find don't have a lot of views on them, but I, I, I like to listen to Chuck. Um, I like to listen to, um, Skip Heitzig, which is my pastor from Calvary in Albuquerque. And Skip is really good at bringing in concepts, connecting them with stories and analogies that make you think things through. Uh, there was a time when I wanted to really be like Skip. I tried to make my studies a lot like Skip, but I learned I make a lot better Robert Furrow than I do Skip Heitzig. And there's already a Skip Heitzig. And so I should just go ahead and try to be Robert Furrow. I make a much better Robert Furrow instead of a Skip Heitzig. Um, but hopefully that'll be helpful and to give you um, some help for the kind of things that you can listen to. Uh, to be able to download it. Like I said, Reach Radio is a, is a great app. I'm, most Christian radio stations have apps like that. So if you've got a station you listen to around there, but give Reach Radio app a try, wherever you're at. Download it. Again, go to your app store, look for Robert Furrow or Reach, I think it's Reach, um, Reach Radio FM or Reach FM and look for our app on there. And um, let me just see if I can pull it up here so you can get an idea of what it looks like. Um, yeah, let me just see that and I can put it up on the screen for you. All right. So here we go. Um, let me go ahead and put this up on the screen. All right. So that's what our reach radio app looks like. Um, reach radio FM. And then we have Calvary Tucson and that's our church app that has a lot of teachings and resources that are on there as well. Um, but if you download that Reach Radio app, there's just a lot of really good teachings that are on there. And one of the things that we're putting together for Reach Radio here soon is um, a podcast to where we take a whole, you know, like eight hour period of the teachings that are on there and then put them in a podcast so people can listen to them, stop it and pick it up where they're at. Because when you're listening to the app on Reach Radio, you can only listen as long as you're in the car. And if you're like me, I sit in the car and continue listening to a study, um, trying to make sure that I redeem that time. All right, so thank you, John. I really appreciate that. Um, the Bible says that the teachers that God has given us are gifts that he gives to us. And finding good ones that will that will teach the word of God that we can really receive from is very powerful when God gives us um, people that are, are like that. All right. So, um, I'm looking for another question here now. Um, all right. So let's go ahead and take, what do we got? So we got another 17 minutes or so. So if you have a question, then go ahead and write the word question or put a cue in front of it and write your question out and I'll take a look at it. Um, I'm going to go ahead and look at a question that we had prepared for the beginning of the study. We had a question come in so early that I didn't do that. So I want to go ahead and do it. And this first question comes from a past Q&A. And the question is about replacement theology. And I usually boil these down. Usually they're asked by someone and then they kind of give, you know, I have a friend who was into replacement theology and he doesn't believe that, you know, God's working with Israel today. So this question was like that. But the bottom line is, what is replacement theology and is it biblical is the real question. So replacement theology is when, and, and it's been around for a long time. Remember, Israel stopped being a nation in 70 AD when Titus, the future emperor, destroyed Jerusalem. And they didn't become a nation again until 1948. So back in the 14, 15, 16, 1700s, there was no Israel. And you've got in the Bible, you've got all of these passages that talk about the last days and the nation of Israel. But there's no Israel. 
And it wasn't, didn't become a nation until 1948. And God didn't begin to bring them back into the land, restore the land and bring them back in, which is a fulfillment of Ezekiel 46 through 48 until then. So they kind of thought, well, there's no Israel. What do we do with all these promises? And what about Israel mentioned so much in the last days? So they came up with replacement theology and there's, it goes by a couple of different names and the description that I'm going to give it, some of them wouldn't like, but you've got to kind of try to explain it. And um, so replacement theology is covenant theology as well, some might call it. Um, there's other aspects to covenant theology. But you, um, they believe that God took all the promises he made to Israel in the Old Testament and put them on the church. And so Gentiles or the church is fulfilling today what God promised to the nation of Israel. And I kind of understand why, why they did that during the dark ages and are just trying to make sense of certain passages. But I think it explains to us uh, part of our problem that we have when we try to make the Bible fit into our day. Sometimes there's just things we don't understand because it's not for us. It's not our time. Daniel was told to seal up the things until the time of the end. And I believe in the time of the end, things have been unsealed. And so God made promises to Israel that I will never forget you. And that he was going to restore them. Zechariah 12.10 says that God's going to pour spirit of mercy and grace on Jerusalem. And they're going, when they remember him, whom, God, who they pierced in Jerusalem. And they pierced God in Jerusalem when Jesus was pierced. And so God said, I will never forget you, my people. I will, I've carved you on the palms of my hand. Though a mother forgets her child, I will never forget you. And so I don't believe that replacement theology is true. I believe that God all along wanted to work with Israel. Uh, uh, the Jews have returned to Jerusalem now, as the Bible said. Jerusalem in 1967 came under Israeli control. Jesus said Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentile until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. And we're looking for the restoration to the Messiah, which is also in Ezekiel um, 30, 46 through, through uh, 49. You also have the reestablishment of the temple, the rebuilding of the temple, which we're looking forward to as well. Now, if, you're, if you believe in replacement theology, then that's not a central issue. There are certain things that are central issues that should divide us, but not something like replacement theology. Uh, I think it's very important. A lot of biblical things are very important, but we don't want them to be dividing us. We are to strive to be of one body, of one mind, and in one accord. And if you're into replacement theology, then you're going to be pre-trib. And you're a pre you're pre-millennial, you're going to be into post-trib. So if you are into replacement theology, you're going to be into post-trib. Uh, because when you read Israel in, in, and the saints in the book of Revelation, you're putting the church there because the church is the replacement for Israel. When the church has been taken out of the way in Revelation chapter 4, when the door was opened in heaven and the trumpet was blasted and John was told to come up here, that's, I believe, when the rapture happens. And uh, then you have Israel and tribulation saints in the middle of the tribulation. And so because they got to put saints there, then they put it at the end of the tribulation. And, and a lot of post-tribulation are replacement theology people. And there's a problem with part of that today. I'm not saying this with everybody, but some who are into replacement theology are anti-Semitic. That doesn't make everybody bad who believes it, but it makes the people that believe it who believe in replacement theology bad. Because anti-Semitism, well, it's one of the signs of the last days that we're living in the last days and that's continuing to happen. And I think that replacement theology, at least the teaching, was um, responsible somewhat to the way Martin Luther felt about the Jewish people, the way that um, uh, Calvin felt about them and others that really were anti-Semitic in their thinking and had become anti-Semitic in their thinking, which creates problems and we shouldn't ignore. We shouldn't ignore it because it's happening today to some degree. All right. So that is um, replacement theology. Um, I think that it's a warning to us that we try to make everything fit like a good puzzle piece. There are things that we don't know about the Bible. And there are, are certain things that we, do, that we do not understand. And that's okay. 
It's okay that we don't understand them. And it's better for us to go, I don't know. I don't know how that fits into scripture than for us to start to make things up to fit in because later on, scripture being fulfilled, who would have ever thought that Israel would become a nation again, born again in a day, even as the Bible had said that it has happened. And it's an absolute amazing um, prophecy. It's been said that Israel is the super sign for the last days. All right. Um, and we have uh, another question from John Campbell. So John says, uh, question, why do we no longer have Ben Corson on Reach Radio? Uh, ben is a friend of mine um, and Ben has had some issues. And you know, the Bible talks about love concealing a matter. And I think that that's the best thing to say is let's let God deal with him. Let's pray for him. Um, he's an incredibly talented, gifted young man and he's had some difficulties uh, and I don't want to, part of it is the love that I have for him. I just don't want to um, talk about the things that have happened. I'm sure if you want to look it up, you can look it up, um, but I don't want to be the guy to do that. Uh, I want to really love him. And um, so we felt that it was best while he was going through these things, getting things together, and hopefully there will be a complete and total restoration. Remember, People stumble and, um, and sin and they can be restored and we're hoping for a real genuine restoration. All right, so thanks John uh, for the question. Um, so we have a question from Renee. She says, is it a sin not to go to church or is it a matter of the heart? Some say they don't have to go to church because they have church wherever they're at. Thank you, Pastor Robert. Um, yeah, I was, um, uh, so, so Hebrews, I'm trying to think of the passage. Hebrews 10, 26, is that right? Let me just look it up here really quick. Just take a moment to look it up. Um, Hebrews 10, 26, I think is the passage that says, don't forsake the gathering of yourselves together as is the um, habit of some. Ah. Uh, no, that's it for if we sin willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. All right, so there's a Hebrew passage that says, not to forsake the gathering of yourself together as is the habit of some. So yes, people get in the habit of not going to church, but we should be involved in the fellowship. God wants us to have the koinonia. And by the way, I don't know that going into church, sitting down, maybe giving an offering, and then leaving is really participating in church the way that God desired it. God wants us to get to know people there, to have that koinonia, to have that fellowship. And koinonia is the word partnership. So we are partners in the kingdom of God and we wanna have that with people that are in the church. And so when someone says, I don't have to go to church, it's like, eh. No, if you're a genuine Christian, it's God's, it's God's desire and plan that you do. Do you have to go to be saved? I don't know, I would not think so, but I would think you would wanna do what Jesus wants you to do. The Bible says if you love him, you wanna keep his commandments. And if you say you love him and you don't keep his commandments, then you're lying and the truth is not in you. And so you wanna do what he wants you to do. He established the church. He gave us gifts of pastors and teachers and, and, and so we wanna be a part of that. Um, when I was born again when I was almost 14 years old, one of the things that happened to me, one of the things that transformed me, the Bible says if anyone's in a crisis, a new creation, old things pass away and everything becomes new. One of the things that happened to me is I wanted to go to church and I didn't have that before. But, you know, I, I did go to church growing up my whole life. I went to church, but I really wanted to go to church and I was really interested in what was being taught. I wanted to learn the Bible. I was a front row person because I wanted to know more and more about what the Bible said. And, um, I think that's part of what happens to us um, when we get uh, to when we get to that point of um, saying I don't really want to go to church. So I think that that can really be a problem. And the idea that church is wherever they are is not true, because where church is, where we gather together in His name, that's where church is. And so you could say, well, I gather together with a handful 
of friends and family and we study the Bible together and that's our church. Good. I would not argue that. I wouldn't argue it. I don't think the church, the size of the church, a small house church or a large church, mega church anywhere, makes something a church or not a church. I think it's what they're doing that makes things um, a church or not a church. All right, so thank you very much, um, Renee. I appreciate that question. Let me take a look here and see if we have um, any more. Um, let me go ahead and go to another question. Uh, and let me see if I've still got that up where I wanted it to go up. Um, yeah, so I wanna, I wanna kind of cover a question I, I looked at last week. And this is, uh, let me see if I can get the right question up here. All right, so why is, and I talked about this, and I didn't have the passages last week, and I wanted just to look at the passages. Uh, so the question is, why are Jesus and Satan both referred to as the morning star? And I, I tried to look the passages up, had a little bit of trouble with that. And so I wanna show you the passages. So yes, the New Testament says this, and let me go ahead and, and pull this passage up for you. So the New Testament says, um, let's just start in verse 19. This is um, 2 Peter 1, 18 and 21, right? 18 through 21. Um, so, and this is verse 19. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. So this is a reference of Jesus being the morning star. And the morning star is Venus. It's the first star you see. Uh, in the, uh, it's the last star that you see at night. It, because Venus is the brightest thing in the sky. So it is the morning star. And Jesus is the dominant thing in the sky. And that's the idea. That Venus are the, is the morning star. It's the dominant thing in the sky. And the morning star is going to arise in our hearts. Now, the passage that refers to Lucifer or refers to Satan as the morning star is Isaiah 14 and it's verse 12. Let me go ahead and get that up and I'll bring it in here and um, I'll get it up on the screen for you. So let me go ahead and bring that up. So here it says, how you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground. Now this is the new King James. This is the, and the King James uses the word Lucifer, um, but that is Latin. Lucifer comes directly over from Latin for the Hebrew word. And the Hebrew word for morning star is Lucifer. And God's mocking him here because he wants to be the dominant star in the sky. He wants to be Jesus. And so God says to him, how you've fallen from heaven, O Venus, O son of the morning, O morning star. He, it's mocking. You wanted to be the morning star? Look how you've fallen. You're not the morning star. So he's not calling Lucifer the morning star. He's saying he wanted to be. And if you go on here and you read on, it talks about him wanting to ascend. Verse 13, for you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. He's wanting to be the morning star, but how he's fallen. So this is a mockery. So the answer to the question is that he did not compare Jesus and Lucifer to the morning star. Jesus is referred to as the morning star that rises in our hearts. And Lucifer is mocked that he wanted to be the morning star and did not, that he never became uh, the morning star. All right, so um, those are the questions that we have for today. I appreciate you guys joining us. I hope that you guys have a great week. Stay close to Jesus. Uh, if um, uh, we, we will have a Q&A this Saturday, so I really look forward to joining you there. I would remind you um, to, uh, I would remind you that this is a podcast, so you can go to wherever you get podcasts at, and you can subscribe, and then wherever you're at, wherever you listen to podcasts, you can listen to the teachings and catch up on these, and I hope that this time that we spend is a ministry to you. I hope that God really meet you here. I know this is extremely helpful for me as a teacher because I kind of get the idea of where people are at and what people are looking for. And I think it really helps me as a pastor and as a teacher to be able to cover issues um, that are thankful for people. All right. So I really appreciate um, you guys and your questions and answers. And I hope that you're really blessed. Stay close to Jesus. Uh, walk in the spirit. 
endeavor to walk in the Spirit. Do whatever you've got to do and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh and may that be something that we are reminded of regularly. All right? So God bless you guys. I'm signing out. I'll see you guys. Oh, two hours. Um, We've got a message. Uh, It's how to be like Jesus. The Bible tells us that we are to be imitators of Christ. So we want to be like Christ. And so this is the first thing to do to be like Christ. And that is to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit and to exalt other people above our own. And we'll talk about how Jesus did that and how we're supposed to do that and what that means in our teaching tonight. So we would love to have you join us. All right. So uh, mark it. It'll be at six o'clock. So two hours from right now. All right. God bless you guys. I'm